0: Last week, I was talking to you about coincidences. And as we determined at the time, coincidences are not a kosher word. I had gotten an email from a rabbi at Aish explaining in his words why Yeshua is not the Messiah. And so I talked about that and explained why I didn't think he was correct. Well, we had another coincidence this week. I got an email from Gab. It's an alternative social media to Twitter, I think. It was against modern-day Judaizers. It's by a gentleman named Shane Shetzel, a Christian of Jewish heritage. I don't know anything about this guy, but I've got a five-page email from him. He starts off as a celebration of Christmas pagan. What about the celebration of Easter? Is it pagan too? Certainly the celebration of Halloween must be pagan, right? How about worshiping God on Sundays? Surely that is pagan. No. Is it all some big conspiracy? Are the historical churches of Christendom secretly trying to simulate ancient pagan worship while fooling us all into believing that this honors Jesus Christ? These are the sorts of questions that permeate our modern culture, and what they amount to collectively is an outright direct assault on Christianity. He goes on for five pages, and I will sort of dip in and out of his letter what he does is he accuses us of being Judaizers, which is to say that we want to turn Christians into Jews. And he then goes into the Council of Jerusalem where they had this question of what do we do with these Gentile believers? And you had Pharisees who were believers in the Messiah, Messianic Jews, who said, ah, we got to get them circumcised, and they got to keep the law of Moses. And, of course, as you all know, the Council of Jerusalem decided that that was not the case. Now, first off, the question is, what authority did they have to say that? This is a bunch of guys in Jerusalem, apostles, all of them, and they decided this, so by what authority? This is Mr. Schetzel again. Acts 15.22-35 recounts the Council's final decision to allow Gentiles to come to the Church of Gentiles without requiring that they keep the law of Moses. A letter was sent to Gentile Christians with the following instructions, the Judaizers do not have any authority from the Church in Jerusalem, you may ignore them. Listen to Paul and Barnabas instead. Abstain from participating in idolatry, don't drink animal blood, don't eat bloody strangled meat and don't engage in sexual morality that was it the Council of Jerusalem put no further obligations on the non-Jewish Gentile Christians we see Paul deal with the Judaizing heresy again multiple times throughout his epistles in the New Testament so this guy would quote Galatians approvingly for example and what I will gently suggest is he as most of the church is reading things selectively and reading things incorrectly. So the first question that you have to ask is why did they put any requirements at all on the Gentiles? You have these Gentiles that grab the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit grabs them. They're born again, they're talking in tongues, they're doing all that kind of stuff. Because remember, that's what happened when the Spirit fell on the Gentiles at Cornelius' house. It was obvious to everybody that the Spirit had landed on them, and they were part of the kingdom of God. So the question you have to ask is, why did the council of Jerusalem say anything except ignore these guys? They have no authority to us. Do your own thing. But that isn't what they say. And he misquotes, but they say, Abstain from things strangled, abstain from blood, and abstain from sexual immorality. Why does he say that? Why not just, hey, you guys got the Holy Spirit. Go for it. Do whatever you like. They don't do that. So the question is, why this list? What does it mean? What does it mean to us? And are we Judaizers? And by the way, Scripture doesn't mention the word Judaizers. That's a Sunday Christian concept. What it does mention is Jews, who were Pharisees, who were Christians, who were insisting that Gentiles coming in be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. That's what they were against. So you remember in Acts when Peter gets the commission to go see Cornelius. You know, he had the business with the sheet coming down from heaven and so forth this guy's letter quotes that and says that what God says is anybody that I have sanctified you don't call them clean he's got that right that's exactly what has been said but something more interesting happens in Acts 11 verse 1 and this is after the spirit falls on Cornelius and his household so Peter goes back to Jerusalem and in Acts 11 1, now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So, when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So, the two problems problem number one is he went to these uncircumcised Gentiles, and the problem number two is he ate with them. I will suggest to you that that is the entire crux of the problem with the council of Jerusalem. Because remember, when Peter goes and sees Cornelius, he specifically says, it is unlawful for a Jew to come into a Gentile's house and eat there. And then he says, but the Holy Spirit has shown me that I should not call anybody he's accepted unclean. So Peter is perfectly happy going into this Gentile's house preaching to them enjoying table fellowship with him. this freaks out the circumcision party that's the deal do we have to have them circumcised and can we have table fellowship with them now let's look at that list of prohibitions one more time because remember what the council could have said is hey the law of Moses is no more Do your own thing. I mean, that would have been a simple way to handle the problem, right? They didn't. They gave them a list of things that they should do or not do. Blood, sexual immorality, and so forth, right? What that is is sort of the minimum standard that allows you to go into the synagogue. And one of the the discussions that they had in the council was, This is what we're going to tell them to do or not to do. And then there's this little line at the end. For Moses has been read in the synagogues every week forever. Why is that in there? It isn't in the letter, by the way. But it is in their discussions. So the whole point here is these guys got the Holy Spirit in modern vernacular. They're saved, etc., But I will suggest to you that no church that I know of suggests that after you have been baptized and you are now saved that you never have to read the Bible. If I were to suggest that when the Holy Spirit falls on you, you don't need to read the Bible. Just go off and do your own thing. Every church that I know of, except maybe the Catholic Church, would say, all right, now you've got to study the Bible. You've got to read the Bible now that you're in the kingdom. And that's the whole point of this council. These people are in the kingdom. They've been saved. Now, how do we get them into the synagogue so they can listen to the scriptures being read? And that's the reason for that particular set of prohibitions. It lets them come into the door of the synagogue and, you know, they get to sit in the back and all that kind of stuff. But they get to hear Moses read. Now, one of the things that happens in Galatians, this guy I'm sure would quote Galatians approvingly. This, by the way, is not an act. I looked it up. So Galatians 2, Paul writing. So when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So the two big deals are circumcision and table fellowship. Can we be in fellowship and community with these people or not? Those are the two big questions in Acts. And the Council of Jerusalem specifically says, yes, they do not need to be circumcised. In other words, they do not have to become Jews. And we can have table fellowship with them as long as they clean up some of their pagan practices. In other words, they can't deal with blood. And by the way, the way it's written in the book of Acts, it doesn't necessarily imply eating blood. It just abstain from blood. And that could also mean menstrual blood. In other words, you can't come in if you have had contact and so forth. So, it's ambiguous. One of the things that this guy who wrote this letter says, he cites the history of the church, and the church is very open about this. When they went to pagan lands, what they did is they looked and saw what the pagans were doing, and they slathered a layer of Jesus over the top of it. That's what Christmas is. That's what Easter is. That's what Halloween is, All Hallows' Eve. All of these are... Pagan festivals that had existed beforehand, and when the church came in, they just renamed them, rebranded them, but nobody had to change their party. We all have a party on the winter solstice. We all have spring parties around Easter. We all have harvest festivals in the fall. We'll just rebrand them. This guy says that's exactly, and he uses the word enculturation. So let me read again from this guy. Enculturation describes the process of Christianity absorbing cultures as it advanced from place to place in the ancient world. The idea behind it is based on the events recorded in Acts 15, that's the Council of Jerusalem. Rather than steamrolling over Gentile cultures with religion precepts that demand a culture adapt to it, which is exactly what the Pharisees did, and Islam does too, Christianity absorbs a culture and baptizes it, so to speak, preserving what is good and wholesome or at least harmless about that culture while eliminating those things that are adulterous or immoral. God specifically forbids that. One of the things that he says is when you go into the land, do not inquire how these people worshipped their gods. Very specific. Do not incorporate my worship with the worship of whatever pagan gods happen to be there so the question I would ask him is by what standard he is asserting that Christianity goes in rebrands the pagan holidays and gets rid of the immoral stuff in the pagan holidays where do you find the definition of morality by what standard are we eliminating certain pagan practices because we say they are immoral what's the standard Because as we look at our culture today, what we discover is the standards of men are rapidly shifting. There's all sorts of stuff that used to be just fine that all of us now is forbidden and we'll get you thrown out of polite society. We're also doing stuff now in the church. In fact, my dear wife, I didn't watch it because I couldn't stomach it, was saying that there was a video of a Lutheran church. And the deacon gets up and reads the scripture and then comes down and sits on the front and has the children come up and he's going to talk to the children about the reading. He's a drag queen. He's dressed in drag. This is a Lutheran church who has approved of that because this guy is one of the deacons and he's up on the altar during the service. So when I say by what standard, it's a serious question because Moses says you will not cross-dress it's one of the things in the law of Moses don't cross-dress so when this guy is saying that Christianity rebrands the pagan festivals and gets rid of the immoral stuff no they don't and one of the things that he says is this is all a direct assault on Christianity and you know what? he's right because Yeshua when he came in the flesh led a direct assault on Judaism. Let's go to Matthew 15. Then Pharisees and scribes came to Yeshua from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples break the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. I will gently suggest to you that is a direct assault on Judaism as it was practiced then. And I'm going to suggest to you that what this world needs is a direct assault on Christianity as it is practiced today. And so when this gentleman who wrote this email says that all this is a direct assault on Christianity. He's absolutely correct. In doing that, we are following the traditions of Yeshua. By the way, we had another coincidence. You all remember Jay Carper? used to be in the church for years, and he's now moved to Texas. So he posted on Facebook a quote by Charles Spurgeon, who was a good Protestant Puritan. When it can be proved that the observance of Christmas, what died, and other popish festivals was ever instituted by divine statute, we also will attend them. But not till then. It is as much our duty to reject the traditions of men as to observe the ordinances of the Lord. And that's Spurgeon from his Treasury of David, Volume 8. So another coincidence, if you will. One of the things that happens in the New Testament and it's especially prevalent among Christians, is the word law and Torah are used in several different senses. So when the Pharisees are talking about the law of Moses, they are talking about not only the written word, but they are also talking about the traditions of the elders. And it's all the law. Yeshua is very careful. Whenever he's talking about it, he starts off very often It is written, which is to say this is what's actually written in Scripture. He never goes against or violates what is written. What he goes against are the Jewish equivalent of Christmas crud that has been layered on top of Moses. That's what he goes against. I will... Read a couple of paragraphs from him. Of course, the question arises, what gave the apostles the authority to do this? Which brings up another word not found in the Bible, but describes a very biblical concept. It's called supersessionism, which is commonly misunderstood Christian doctrine. Many Christians believe it means that Gentile Christians have replaced Jews as the chosen people. That's a drastic oversimplification, which is incorrect, and I agree with that. What it truly means is that the new covenant in Christ has superseded the old covenant in Moses. That means there is neither Jew nor Gentile, quoting from Paul. Metaphorically speaking, under the new covenant, it's open to anyone, and you don't have to change your ethnicity or culture to be part of it. That's true also. That's correct. You certainly don't have to keep the law of Moses he just went off into the ditch and then he goes on the idea that Jesus Christ perfectly fulfilled the law of Moses and nailed it with him to the cross that's again misquoting scripture so Colossians 2.13 is what he's quoting where it's been nailed to the cross right so Colossians 2.13 and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh God made alive together with him having forgiven us All our trespasses. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, thus he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And I agree with every word there, but it's worded very precisely. The thing that's nailed to the cross is the record of debt. So the example I would use is if you're speeding down I-25 at 100 miles an hour, And a state patrolman pulls you over and writes you a ticket. That ticket is the record of debt. What Yeshua did is he mailed your ticket to the cross. He did not abrogate the speeding laws. So if you speed again next week, you will get caught again next week, and you will get a ticket again next week. The law is not done away with. The ticket is what gets nailed to the cross. And what this gentleman misunderstands, which lots of the Sunday church also misunderstands, is he thinks that the statute book is what got nailed to the cross. And that's not what it says. It doesn't say that because it doesn't mean that. Paul is confusing sometimes, but he's very precise. And he goes on and says you don't have to keep the feast or any of that kind of stuff. Let's look at what God says. Exodus 31:12. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all you shall keep my sabbaths, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I the Lord sanctify you. So sabbath is a big deal for the Jews, right? For the Jews, for the Jews. Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah 56:1. Thus says the Lord keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come my deliverance be revealed blessed is the man who does this the son of man who holds it fast who keeps the sabbath not profaning it and keeps his hand from doing any evil let not the foreigner oh wait a minute foreigners who's that gentiles that have come into the church those foreigners think that's what he's talking about i do Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Let not the eunuch say, Behold, I'm a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners Have you heard that before isn't that what Yeshua says when he drives the money changers out of the temple so Yeshua seems to be able to channel Isaiah but notice the emphasis here Sabbath 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 so yes changing the Sabbath to Sunday is wrong it never happens in scripture I was listening to Ronald Dart the other day and He's of the same opinion I am, which is why I like him. But he specifically says, as I have quoted here, Sabbath in the Old Testament is a big deal. If God had wanted to change the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday, it would have required some explicit commandments from somebody and some rationale. It isn't something that just happens by osmosis. It is never mentioned in Scripture. Nowhere. So yes, worshiping on Sunday is not honoring the Sabbath. It's very clear. So, what feast day should we keep? The Sunday church says we should keep Easter, we should keep Christmas, we should do all those things right. In other words, the Sunday church has holy days well are there any other holy days that we should maybe pay attention to that by the way this gentleman I've forgotten his name already says we specifically should not because that's Jewish stuff and that's the law well one of the things about Yeshua is he did everything on one of God's moedim one of God's appointed times everything he was born on Sukkot circumcised on the eighth day oh that's an eight day feast Wow, what a coincidence. And then Passover, that's when he was sacrificed as the Lamb of God. Perfectly good Jewish feast, Hebrew feast, Moses feast. First fruits, that's when he rose from the grave. Oh, Shavuot, that's when he sent his Holy Spirit. Ah, Yom Teruah, that's the one where no man knows the day or the hour. Because you don't know when the day is until you actually see the moon. It's not something that you can predict. I mean, the Jews do predict it on a calendar, but it's not something that you can actually predict on a calendar. It's whenever God decides to show the moon. No man knows the day or the hour. I personally believe this is genealogy, this is not scripture. That's when he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. That may be wrong. He's not going to ask me. But it matches Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement. I believe that after he touches down, we're going to have a come-to-Jesus meeting. And that's going to be Yom Kippur. And then Sukkot again, when he tabernacles among his people. Those are all Christian holidays. They're all stuff that Yeshua himself does and his church should be doing. They're not Jewish. They're gods. God simply gave them to Moses. And Moses wrote them down and gave them to Israel and gave them to us. The idea that this guy has as he's foaming at the mouth, worrying that people like us, and by the way, one of the things I've been called on Facebook is a fake Jew. As far as I know, I'm not Jewish. I might be, I don't know. I'm not trying to be Jewish. I'm trying to follow the word of God as it is written. And... People like this gentleman and many Sunday Christians who say all that Jewish stuff has been done away with are simply in error. Now, I'll close by saying one more thing. One of the things that Brian used to say is when people wish you a Merry Christmas, smile back at them and say Merry Christmas to you too. they They're wrong. They've got the wrong date. But most of them have no idea. And you're not in the King Super's parking lot going to get into a theological discussion and change their whole life. They're at least acknowledging that he's the Savior. They're at least acknowledging that he's the Messiah. Smile, say Merry Christmas, and move on. You don't need to correct everybody you meet in King Super's or wherever you are, but understand that what we are trying to do here and notice I said trying sometimes we succeed better than others but what we're trying to do is follow the book as it is written not as it is interpreted by the traditions of men and as you go back to the Council of Jerusalem and everything else it becomes very obvious at least to me that what that early council was trying to do was get the Gentiles into the synagogue so they could listen to Moses. As you read the record of that conference, it's very obvious that that's what they're trying to do. That's the reason for that particular subset of the law of Moses to be imposed on the Gentiles.